Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone, and the Bearcats are 1-0. and As we head to Columbus for week two of the regular season, this podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Taft's, be it Taft's Ale House downtown and over the Rhine, or Taft's Brewporium, where you can join me on Saturday at noon you're not going to Columbus, I expect you to be at Taft's Ale House, or Taft's Brewporium, excuse me, Taft's Brewporium, Saturday noon, Bearcats and Buckeyes at Buckeye Stadium. It should be a fantastic time. Uh, Dave will not be there because he does not do watch parties anymore. He is 0-1. He's been to one watch party they lost. Uh, he's not allowed back. But you can be there because your record's not 0-1. So... Join us. I, I've heard, Dave, I've heard we might roll out a drink special. Oh, then I might be there. half price drinks after every Bearcats touchdown. Oh, that would be nice. Can they, will they do that for the ECU game? I believe, if it goes well this time, I believe it is after. it is going to be a special for every game, every watch party this season. Mm, that could be enticing against the Pirates. <laughs> UConn's, UConn's at home this year, isn't it? Yeah. So That's yeah, UConn, Miami, Tulsa. Yeah, they, they got all the... Uh, <laughs> all That's the, unfortunate. The, the Houston game could be a lot of points, oh, too. Oh. The Houston game, you might get real sauced up if that special carries through uh, for, a, for, another, for the rest of the season. But that, that's that, that's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing rumblings of drink specials after every Bearcats touchdown. So make sure you get out there. Phenomenal pizza, great wings, great garlic knots. The beer trees, beer cheese I could drink with a straw. Uh, it is going to be a good time as the Bearcats take on the Buckeyes. And I will be there. Brent Young will be in Columbus covering the game for Bearcat Journal. I will be manning station at the watch party. And we are, uh, I had someone yell at me, basically, Dave. Because I saw I was, that. Why, yeah. why you weren't going to Columbus? Because I'm a businessman, and I got businessman things to do. And one of those businessman things to do is to make sure that our sponsors have a successful watch party. That's right. Plus, I don't like people. And being around 100,000 people, it just seems bad for me. I, I don't like being around people that many people it's, it's it's not a great uh i don't know maybe i'm just impartial i don't i don't love the the game day up there but you'd love the game day up there if the bearcats come home with a win on saturday well yeah it's just it's a lot of effort yeah so to, that's my thing to, to do what you want to do like at, at uc but. games it's it's perfect i i i get parking in a garage it's very close to everything. I can walk to your tailgate in like four minutes. Although I'm worried now. Am I not allowed at your tailgate for the rest of the year? I don't know. I mean, you, didn't, you ghosted us the first week. Well, I was trying to help out with a lot of different things, and then they won without me going to your tailgate. So now... Well, they've won every home game for like a year and a half. So it's... All right. Shouldn't be a problem. <laughs> no, no superstition in that? No. I, I was trying to help the McAfee guys, and... They were um, they were trying to give away a, a ticket, a, a four pack of tickets to like a family, and they were walking around the grid trying to give them away. And I'm like, well, fellas, dude, everybody here's got tickets. <laughs> everybody here's got tickets. Like, I, I this is not the right place to be walking around looking to find somebody to give tickets away to. So uh, I don't know if they ever found that person or not. Um, if they did, they were trying to to shoot a video uh, to to put on Pat's website. I don't know if they found that person or not, but the grid was not a good place for that, and it, it took up a little bit more time than expected. But those guys seemed like they were having a great time. Uh, McAfee was was really good on the call. It's funny because if you're not in on Pat McAfee, you don't like understand Pat McAfee, I can get where he annoys you uh, broadcasting a game. But if you know who Pat is, it, it's hilarious. Did you get to watch it back at all? Did you watch it back? Yeah, I watched it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't really listen to much of what they say, but you know, I thought he was fine. Like first game doing it, you know, he's, he's definitely gonna, 
definitely got some things to clean up. But yeah, I, I want to be entertained. I don't want to hear the the old, you know, this team is they they can't run the ball. They're not going to be successful. Oh yeah, no kidding. You yeah, know, no crap. Don't, don't feed me the just standard play-by-play and color analyst stuff. Like you know, either say something funny or give me some info that you know you got because you're in that role. Um, so yeah, I thought he was fine. So let's get to it. Bearcats take down the Bruins twenty-four to fourteen Thursday night at Nippert Stadium. I this led off my uh, led off my Brendel's Bites article. I led off with it as I hosted, filled in for Mo on Labor Day on Monday uh, on fifteen thirty. I will lead off today with the same thing. Incredible job by the student section. They were there the entire time. They did not leave at halftime, especially for the first game of the year with a bunch of freshmen in the student section. I thought they brought great energy. Uh, I was very, very impressed and very happy to see the performance that UC got from their student section from the ruckus on Thursday night. I thought it fueled the entire stadium. I thought it was fantastic. I agree. They were uh, they were ready to go, and they, they kept the energy all the way through, and that's what uh... – that's what you need. There's been, you know, so much talk around the country, especially with student attendance, and they're, they're kind of bucking the trend. So hopefully that continues. On to the game. It was sloppy. It was uh, not overly well played for most of the night. But at the end of the day, and this is two years in a row, the Cincinnati Bearcats are simply a better football program than UCLA right now. And that yeah, showed out on the field. Debate yeah, the, that debate is over. That debate is over. I mean, they once again punched UCLA in the mouth, and UCLA had no response. And if that is the type of production that UC is getting, for me, the, the star of the game was the defensive line. If that is the type of production that UC is going to get from Myjay Sanders, from Malik Van. Kevin Muhan even got in there and, and produced uh, Michael Pitts, Ethan Tucky, all four of the, the guys in the rotation at defensive tackle, Brooks and Ponder and Taylor and Brown. Those guys all night made things very difficult for UCLA. And if not for two big plays, that could have been a historic night defensively because in the other, what, 50-something plays, they had 60 yards. Well, they they had 114 yards on two plays, and on the other 60 plays, they had 104 yards. Yeah. So 1.7 yards per play on 60 of the 62 plays. And, you know, kind of going back to the defensive line, turns out we knew UCLA was going to be starting a true freshman left tackle. They ended up starting a redshirt freshman, and I believe it was his first start at left guard. And the part that was, you know, encouraging to me was that, yes, they kind of, you know, took took their shots at that side of the line, but the other side that had veteran players. They dominated I, the right side almost more almost than they did the left. That the right side looked worse to me than yeah. the left side. I'm with you. Like, they got pressure from all angles, but like the glaring, like whiff blocks and just turning guys loose to the quarterback, all seemed to come from the right side. So, you know, a lot was made of UCLA's more experienced line and UC's inexperienced defensive line, and it you know it was kind of a you know a mismatch pretty much the whole game, especially in the run game. I think it was 62 total yards on 36 carries. Um, you know, it's it's definitely encouraging moving forward because if they're going to be able to keep playing all those guys and all of those guys are flashing at certain points of in a game, you know, when you get into this back end of the hard first half of the year and then into the second half of the year, it's going to be critical for them to have that kind of depth and not have any drop-off 
that allows them to, you know, have guys playing 20, 30 snaps and not, you know, your front-line guys playing 50 or 60. Yeah, I mean, they, they legitimately played nine guys throughout the game in that rotation, and all nine of them made an impact. And that was, to me, that was just the, the catalyst for the way that the game played out because they want to win the game in the trenches. They won that game. When UCLA had the ball, UC, UC won that game in the trenches uh, and just whipped their line all over the place. UCLA fans want to place the blame on Dorian Thompson-Robinson, which he was bad, don't get me wrong. But a lot of it was he literally was never able to get settled in the pocket. There was never a no, time he... where he really was able to just get sit, get situated. And, and I think the one time that he did, he had a guy wide open for for a, a probably a touchdown and overthrew him by like five yards. Yeah, he he just I I, it's, I don't know what it was because that on more than I mean more than several occasions he would just go into kind of like an instant backpedal and there wouldn't even really be pressure there yet but his backpedal would then allow pressure to to come and then by right. the time they'd be throw, he'd either short hop it or throw it out of bounds or a couple you know a couple times he totally airmailed guys so I don't know if he was if he just felt pressure that wasn't there but yeah I mean eight for 26 you know but it Two interceptions. The fumbles, I mean, those are kind of fluky. I mean, you know, those kind of, to me, those kind of cancel out, like, Dez's interception. Both teams had some pretty fluky, uncharacteristic turnovers. Um, first game type stuff that you hope, you know, gets cleaned up. But, but yeah, they, um, it was it was in, it was definitely was interesting, and I I imagine that Chip Kelly is not exactly endearing himself to the UCLA fan base right now, considering some some inside source comments came out that maybe he doesn't really care about non conference games, which when you only got twelve games and you got a rabid fan base that hasn't really had much winning lately. That's not exactly something that I'd be wanting out there. I mean, that fan base, they were all in going into this game. They let me hear about it. Cause I was, uh, I was crazy enough to pick the Bearcats by three. I apologize for underselling the Bearcats, uh, and their ability to dominate this game. Well, I kind of, you know, when you and I had talked, I don't know if it was week of the game or the week before, and I kind of, I don't know, maybe it was just some, some vinegar or whatever, but I was kind of feeling it. And I, I shouldn't have backed off of it because I kind of had an, a sense that it it might have been, or not another, but it might have been a, a pretty big decisive win. And it wasn't quite there just from a score standpoint, but from an, a visual standpoint, it definitely was. I mean, I got crushed. I got crucified for predicting a three-point Cincinnati win for a team that was a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Yeah, hey, you know. Don't you remember what they did last year against USC? I, I just – it was, uh, it was <laughs> rather – it was rather interesting to me. I know, I know. But, it, uh, it, it, but it was, yeah, it's the defense was fantastic. Defensive line, definitely, I wouldn't even say necessarily a surprise, but just like a validation of this is kind of what we were hoping for, and that's what we got. And so hopefully now that, you know, well, carries over and can be built on, and, you know, and then you're a little less worried about how you replace the three starters from last year you feel a little bit better about what you have as a whole. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. Like you, As you're watching stuff in practice, you have to remind yourself that it's you don't know 
exactly how it's going to translate because we didn't know what the UC offensive line was going to look like. Maybe the defensive line had a great camp because the offensive line was going to be terrible. Well, it's and, kind of like what was that like one of Tuberville's years when we thought the corners were pretty good, but turns it turns out, out the receiver stunk. The receiver stunk and couldn't get open. Yeah. <laughs> so, like the you wanted to hedge your bet a little bit on that before you really jumped out over on your skis on this defensive line. I think game one gives you some validation in the fact that they've got some dudes in the pipeline that are going to make this thing. The the sailing is going to continue to re- remain pretty smooth, even though Broughton and Fitz and Copeland uh, are no longer around. The rest of the defense, the linebackers were very good. I thought the, the, the secondary was very good. Javon Hicks had a couple bad plays and then redeemed himself with a couple great plays. And for a guy in his first start, I'll take it. I didn't really mind his bad plays because they were aggressive. I mean, like, the missed tackle he, in space, you got to figure out a way he, to at least get a hand on the guy and slow him down. Sure, but that's gonna like that's gonna ha- it's gonna happen. Like, yeah, you know, you're gonna have whether it's you know it happens way less with the. A veteran, but like, I don't think it's real. You know, I don't think anyone was really thinking like he's just going to come in there and it's going to be like James Wiggins is still playing. Like, but I like that he was aggressive in what he did. He was around the ball. He, you know, so he'll he'll build off of it. I'm sure. Like it's it's it was much better than seeing someone that seemed tentative or didn't want to come up and make a play oh, or no was question. late react late reacting you know looked lost i mean we're you know i watched enough football this weekend there was a lot of bad game one football yeah so to play you know say what we will about UCLA they've got very similar level talent to UC, very similar level coaching to UC, and and UC played a, a pretty good game with some, you know, with a, a lot of penalties, some mistakes, you know, but to get the win in game one, in those, against a team like that, you know, I think I was looking at some stats, and the stats are, after one week, kind of inconsequential, but... They were like twentieth in total defense, but only like three teams ahead of them actually played like power someone five with a pulse, or, yeah. Right. So it's like, you know, you you're playing somebody that's brought a ton of ton of players back, had some success in the second half of last year, and you pretty much whipped their whipped their butt. So it's it's a great jumping off point for the rest of the season. And let's just be perfectly honest about it. Starting 0-1 there is a disaster because then you're going to Ohio State and you're you're, you're staring 0-2 down square in the face. And that being 0-1 was never really in question. It it was never really on the table in that game, I didn't think. No, I mean, when you watch the game, like like we said, they had two two plays of of consequence, really. I mean, I think they had 12 first downs the entire game. There was never really a time where you're like, oh, man, their momentum is shifting. Or like, you know, Josiah Dugar makes that play and maybe keeps momentum from from shifting. But that's what good teams do. Yeah. They, you know, and and there was, I just never felt like the way the defense is playing and the way that their quarterback was playing, I never felt that there was just, they were going to all of a sudden put together consecutive successful drives and stop UC in between. It almost seemed, especially in the second half, anytime UC needed to score, they did. Whether it was, you know, I think it was, what, two touchdowns? But it was like whenever UCLA kind of tried to make a move and UC got the ball back, they scored. Yeah. Um, offensively, it was pretty much what you expect. Uh, the bad throw on the goal line from from Ritter aside, things were pretty much what you would expect. Uh, 
Mike Mike Warren did what he did. I know people get annoyed with some of the first and second quarter running the ball up the middle. But it is why they're able to run in the second half. Because they just continuously pound on you. And here's another thing to remember. While they are doing that is frustrating, yes. Until they show they can't convert on third down, you keep doing it. They were fourth in the country in third down percentage last year, 48%, over 48%. They were at 50% against UCLA. Until you can't convert those third and sixes, and th- th- then it becomes a problem. When you're a team that's regularly three for 10 on third down, then guess what? You can't get yourself in third and six. But what this team has shown last year and this year through a game is that Desmond Ritter is very much capable of, of making plays on third down. And if that's the case, you know what? You continue to just bludgeon a defense with Mike Warren over and over and over again until that doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, I agree. My only, my only, I had one small counter uh, gripe to that. Was, right before the missed field goal in the yeah, first third, half. third and six. Yeah. Like, Desert was on point to start the game. And you got a chance to go up fourteen nothing. If you convert that first down, you're probably scoring. I just didn't like running the ball there because he had been kind of picking them apart. And they were playing some soft coverage. Their leading corner wasn't, you know, didn't either make. The tri- I think he made the trip and dress, but didn't didn't play. That was my only gripe. Was like I kind of saw that as an opportunity to if they score there, you know, who who knows what happens. But yeah, for the most part. I mean, there weren't those big plays because I think they played off. Oh, uh, they were playing 10, 12 yards off the wide receivers. They played off a lot, and so he found those 8 to 11-yard completions. And, you know, but no, I, I'm one game in, I'm not really going to get too worked up or really need to, just, to talk about anything along those lines. I just thought, outside of the interception, I thought Des played a really good, clean game. I thought the offensive line for the most part protected really well uh, I don't think UCLA has very many players that are really considerable pass rushers but you know you still had two brand new players on the left side and you know Mets I think was in his own head a little bit but other than that I don't really think he he didn't turn anybody loose he didn't get lost on a on a stunt that I noticed, I mean, it, it was pretty, pretty clean for your first school round. Yeah, I mean, they've got to, Mets has got to clean up the false starts. He had three, I think. Yeah. He's got to clean those up. I, I, I thought Jeremy Cooper was as good as advertised. That kid has got a chance to be awesome over four years. And I said that throughout camp, and I thought that held up. Uh, especially on on Thursday night. So, yeah, that left side is young, and we'll get to that when we talk about uh, the game coming up Saturday. But ultimately, I thought it was a good offensive performance. You got to see a a glimpse of what Alex Pierce can do over the top. Uh, Unfortunately, he sprained his ankle on the play a little bit. That limited him the rest of the way. But he did get back out there uh, in the second half, made a catch, I think, for nine yards or so. Yeah, he was back in there. Yeah, he played. And yeah. then uh, we saw a lot. I thought Thomas Geddes had a pretty solid game. Mm-hmm. And he came in when Pierce was out. Uh, Jason Jackson was, was in on the outside a lot. Uh, Trent Cloud was, was okay. You got what you expect from DeGuara. You got the first career t- catch for Wiley. In terms of what they did in the passing game, what it, seven different people caught a pass, I think it was. So Ritter spread the ball around. He used his weapons. Yeah. You know, they they were effective, and, and that's exactly what you want. I think it, it can be more clean. I think they probably should have been easily up over 30 points in that game, but they, you know, they managed. They missed the field goal, the, the fumble inside the 30, the interception at the goal line. They did just enough to shoot themselves in the foot where they didn't have a big offensive day. But I thought the pieces showed that, that they fit. And this offense has a chance to be pretty damn good. Yeah. 
I agree with all that. You got anything else on the uh, the Bruins game? No. All right, let's get to it. Buckeyes hosting the Bearcats on Saturday. Uh, we normally have a guest here. There's plenty of Ohio State content out there. If you need to know about the Buckeyes, it's pretty easy to find. We're going to talk about the game from the UC perspective uh, for the most part. Outside of uh, here at the beginning of this segment, I will ask Dave his opinion of Ohio State on offense, defense, special teams, um, and then we'll get into how we think the game is going to play out. Dave, Tate Martell had a, a good game on the ground, a decent game <laughs> as a passer. They they ran out to a 28, or Tate Martell, Justin Fields, Justin you know what I mean. Field. Justin Fields had a good game on the ground, decent game as a passer. Uh, they ran out to a, a quick lead and then kind of put it in cruise control. Uh, some of that was they, they did a lot of pretty liberal subbing after they got up big. Uh, but I didn't think they – I think they looked they looked phenomenal in that first, what, 12 minutes? From there, the, it was kind of eh. It was like the first seven minutes, I think they went up 28 nothing. But it was – yeah, I mean, FAU, it didn't even look like they were on the field. Like the receivers were just like – running wild and you know fields had a 51 yard touchdown to get it started on the ground just kind of just kind of like right up the middle nobody even really there uh one one of his touchdown passes i i think you and i might have been the closest defender <laughs> and then the other two were, were good throws um defenders not really in position to make a play but you know put it on the money uh but after that yeah i mean it was just kind of a I'm sure they were extremely vanilla after they went up four scores in the first quarter. And like you said, I think a lot of teams saw a lot of action, especially in the second half. And, you know, you you get out of week one and you have same thing as you see. You work on what you need to work on and get ready for, I think, for both teams, a much tougher uh, opponent. Offensively, Fields is the big name, but Dobbins is, it, it's kind of, I mean, they're really, I don't think they're all that much different than Ritter and Warren. And Dobbins might be more physically, you know, imposing on paper or whatever, but. Yeah, I mean, he's an overall better, you know, athlete than yeah. than Mike is. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, they want to do the same things that UC wants to do. Um, you got him, you got Master Teague or is kind of their second back. And then uh, DeMario McCall is kind of, you know, I would call him their Charles McClellan type back. Um, But, you know, offensive line had several new faces. I know Josh Myers, who people probably remember from Miami's book, he's Cody Lamb's teammate. He's their starting center now. That was his first, first start. And reviews were, were pretty good. But again, you know, like, who is he blocking? Same thing with, you know, so UC's D-line is probably going to have, an, you know, a step up in competition, but so is the Ohio State O-line. Um, their left guard is obviously new because Michael Jordan is now with the Bengals. So they have a couple, at least a couple new pieces on the line. And, you know, just listening to Coach Day talk, I think he was happier with the line in review than after the game. But it also sounded like he would have liked to have been more successful in the ball. So maybe that's something we see uh, them try to do a little bit more on Saturday. The receiving group, I mean, I don't know how you put three guys in the first two rounds of the draft and then come back with like five more guys that are going to get drafted either this year or next year. I mean, yeah, they're loaded. It's definitely going to be – a test, uh, you know, Kobe Bryant can't cover them all. So you have a little bit of everything with all of the guys, too. You have your slot guy, you have your outside speed guy, you have your possession, you know, your go-to possession type guy. So I, I think that that's where UC will be challenged the most. Is Well, and you know they're going to go right at Hicks. 
and sure. probably when Taj, when Taj Ward's on the go field, they're going to go at him. Five. Yeah, if they go three or four wide receivers, they're going to go at the most inexperienced guy because they've got – they're going to have a – in their mind, they're going to have a good matchup there. Um, they did multiple things with multiple tight ends. I think it's something that not exactly – I mean, I'm not a huge Ohio State X's and O's guy, but it doesn't seem like that's been their MO in the past. But I know they had several sets of two and three tight ends. So, you know, they're going to try to mix things up. But, yeah, I think the the onus is going to be on the front seven because with a quarterback like Fields, you're going to have to get some pressure on him because we're just you're just not going to be able to cover all those guys for you know four or five seconds if if there's no pressure on him. Um, he's not really one to slide, which could be a problem. He's he's admitted that he really hasn't ever done that before this past week, and I know. Coach Day has been harping on him to, to try to protect himself uh, better than he has in the past. But I think the main matchup from a Ohio State offense defense standpoint is definitely going to be in the passing game. Ohio State's defense. They might have the best defensive line in the country. If not, they are not far behind. Well, they have the Young. best defensive linemen in the country, I'll tell you yes. that. Chase Young is an absolute beast, and I can assure you, not going out on much of a limb here, they are going to do whatever they can to isolate him against those two redshirt freshmen on the left side. For sure. I mean, he's uh, we're in we're not even we're barely in September. The NFL draft is quite a ways away, but most people that follow it for a living have him as. If not the best, what, the top two or three non-quarterback prospects in the draft? I mean, he's everything you hope for in a defensive end. Uh, Their other starting defensive end, Jonathan Cooper, did not play in week one and does not appear to be playing against UC. They moved a tackle out there, right? Right. Um, Their defense was not good last year. So, and I don't really know what you can really take from the FAU game just because they scored on their first four possessions and FAU went three and out on their first four possessions. But after that, FAU outscored them 21-17. Does that really matter? Um, but I think the linebackers are where UC might try to do some damage, whether it's with tight ends. Or slot guys, I think that is, if we're just looking at it from a defensive line linebacker DB grouping, that's, right. I would say, easily the weakest part of their defense. Their defensive line is incredibly deep. They're going to rotate a bunch of guys through just like you see is. Um, their DBs were, not, were pretty terrible last year. It seems like they've gotten uh, – there's more – positive feedback coming from them, but I still think there's probably some plays to be made on the outside. You know, I think it's it's um, it's going to kind of come down to, a, in my opinion, like a similar situation to the FAU game where if you just don't let them boat race you in the first 10 minutes, then you can kind of settle in and try to go toe-to-toe, but if you're down 14 nothing, 14-3, 21-3, something like that in the first quarter, they're just, they got too many dudes. You're just not going to – you're not going to catch up. Um, you know, I UC think that's is, fair. We know what UC is. They're, they are – they're not going to be out – you know, they're going to be tough. They're going to play with effort. They're going to play with energy. And those can win you a lot of games. So, you know, that's not going to come into question. It's just similarly to what Coach Fickle has talked about in the past is this is that that step up, that big game. They didn't – I'm not going to say they weren't prepared for UCF or that they didn't play with energy or toughness 
you know, but they they just they they weren't ready. Let's call so, a spade a spade. They were not ready for the big stage last year. Right. So are they are they now have they learned from that? Or is it, are they still kind of in that growing phase of we can handle the games we're supposed to handle, but we're just not quite ready to take that jump to go into the fourth quarter with the elite of the elite, you know, and, and really scare them. Exactly. This game for me, a rational person, I, I think the line is probably a little big, but I think it should be in double digits. Like Ohio State at home against a Cincinnati team that is building towards there and is well on their way to becoming that steady, consistent, very, very good, can play with anybody type team year after year. I don't know that they're ready to win those games yet. Fortunately, you only need one. Really? I mean, but it being at Ohio State makes it quite a bit more difficult than if it was at, you know, Paul Brown. They're not going to come to Nippert ever. No. <clears throat> I mean, in all actuality, they're probably not playing again after this week for a very long time. Probably not, although I would say it, it feels like since Fickle got here, now the question would be, does he want to play Ohio State? I don't and think I, he will because they, he knows they won't come to Nipper and he's not going to want to do that. I think that's – I think they would – I think he would play them at Paul Brown. Probably. Um, I, I just think it's a situation where you're testing yourself. This is a litmus test to see where you're at. Well, be, let's be real. How many teams in the country right now would go in, in there and win? I mean, they're ranked five in the country, so not many. Right. So... I'm actually from a couple of the Ohio State guys, and they had an article, um, kind of a first look at the game earlier in the week, and I think they were exactly right. Cincinnati has passed at least half of the Big Ten. Oh, easily. So they're sitting in a place where uh, sitting in a place of strength. Like we've seen some of those teams go in and give Ohio State a a, a pretty good game at the Horseshoe. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying they're gonna. It's not, I don't think it's going to be like it was last time where they had like a, a hundred thousand yards. Right. But, but like, well, this defense is more prepared than probably any defense you sure. see has played against Ohio State in a, in quite a while. They're going to need to heat up Justin Fields, and he's going to need to have a Dorian Thompson Robinson type game. And I think that's not completely out of the question. It's not out of the question, but. It's not likely. It's not I out of the question. It's likely. Yeah. He's quite a bit better than Dorian Thompson-Robinson. That's That's where evident. a game like this can swing, is when you do have a quarterback in now his second game, where it came so easy at the very beginning that you can't really – it's hard to take anything from that. And he's certainly going to see a defense that does way more – whether it's just from a talent standpoint or a scheme standpoint that he saw last week. So yeah. your your best shot is to get after him and you know, he has just a total crap bomb. The the one thing and the one thing that's different from what we saw in, what, 2014 is Cincinnati doesn't, at this point in time, they don't have a Chris Moore that you know can score you three touchdowns. So that part, moving the ball on them, especially with their defensive line, is going to be difficult because you're going to have to probably move it incrementally. The, the gigantic splash plays are going to be very difficult. They still have a pretty good secondary. I mean, it's oh yeah. Well, that's that's the thing is like, are you gonna are you gonna score forty points 
on a bunch of 10-play drives? That's probably not likely because at some point in time, Chase Young, you give him 10 plays, he's going to get home on one or two of them, right? Well, yeah, it's just not likely just in general. You're just going to not be able to have success on long drives that many times over. You're going to, you know, the way you, like, look at, like, the way you get some of these major, you know, major teams where there is a, a talent discrepancy is you have these, like, crazy splash plays like, <clears throat> like Ohio State at Purdue last year when Rondell Moore, like, every time he touched the ball, it was like he went 50 yards. Like, you can't, you're not just going to manufacture enough points to beat them methodically going down the field over and over again. Yeah, that's not going to happen. And unfortunately, they don't have Rondell Moore, although I'd, I'd love to have Rondell Moore. Yeah, I mean, if he wants to transfer, because <laughs> guess what? Purdue's not going to be good. Like, sorry, you guys had fun couple games last year. <laughs> While you still won six games. Okay. Yeah. And then just lost to Nevada, so. All right. I, I, I mean, I breaking this game down, I mean, it's pretty simple to me. I just don't think – I think UC has the horses to hang around. I just don't know that they have the horses to, to knock off Ohio State in Ohio Stadium, and that's going to be their task. Figure out a way to have this thing be – a one-score game or a 10-point game going into the fourth quarter, and then you throw it up for chance and hope that you know you have the that you have the stamina and you have the ability to steal one late. Um, but I, I I have a hard time predicting a Cincinnati win in Columbus as Cincinnati is still, and I think we forget this because they were 11 and two last year and. They start off the season with a, a fairly convincing win against UCLA. Like, this thing is not built yet. The foundation is in place, and the foundation is strong. But the house is still being built. And, and yes, maybe you catch them with a new coach and a new quarterback in game two. But ultimately, I, I think it's probably a situation where, ultimately, Ohio State probably has just enough to, to pull away a little bit in the fourth quarter and, make this a game that you look at UC and you say, hey, they played really well, but they just didn't have enough in the tank to to get it done in the fourth quarter. I think that's kind of where we're at. Yeah, I mean, the, I I don't think this is anything wild to say. Like, I think UC will be incredibly well prepared. I think they'll play with great energy, great effort, great toughness. But is that enough to – pull an upset like you also then have to play with great execution and you have to get some breaks like you know you don't very rarely do you see you know games like this where one team just goes in there and and everything goes you know their way so you know they need to play with great execution which they didn't do in week one and they're going to need to get some breaks and it's, I think it's just it's a tall ask. I know we have a lot of people that are super excited. I'm excited to see. I'm excited for the test. Like yes, exactly. When they when they, when when they will play, how do they look? Are they are these teams fairly even? Because that then tells me a lot more about the rest of the season than, of course, a win tells you a lot. But like, just watching the game, you can tell a lot about what you think moving forward. But I don't, I just don't think, I don't think the talent level as a whole, and especially when you get into like the depth is close enough to make up for areas. If they don't play with, you know, don't catch a break or don't play with great execution for 60 minutes. Like sometimes teams can make up for that just because they got way better dudes. Yeah, and it doesn't help that James Wiggins is out and Charles McClelland is out. And if you read between the lines on what Luke said today, Jared Dokes did not practice yesterday, does not think it's likely that Jared Dokes practiced today. 
that tells me very unlikely we're going to see Jared Dokes on Saturday. UC's not dealing with the full deck, not playing with their full complement, especially three guys that were expected to be pretty big parts of this team. All right, let's get to it. It's the it's the Trace Pountas prediction. Trace Pountas, they sell freshly roasted gourmet coffee shipped directly to you. The coffee beans are roasted to order your order, shipped out immediately. Every bag of beans has the roast date clearly printed on it so you know your coffee is fresh. I'm sure you've heard of single origin coffee. Have you, Dave, heard of single origin coffee? I'm sorry, what? Single origin coffee. I'm not familiar. Trace Pound Test Coffee is actually one level higher than single origin coffee. That's coffee that comes from uh, one location. Their coffee comes from a single family farm. Specifically, their high quality beans come from the Race Family Coffee Farm located near the town of Trace Pantas, Brazil. They offer gourmet coffee beans in four roast profiles, light, medium, dark, and French roast, and they ship coffee to you in either whole bean or pre-ground 12-ounce packages. They also now have K-cups, so you can get that if you've got the machine. You can find out about Trace Pantas coffee by going to www.tracepantas.com coffee. All coffee orders are roasted fresh and shipped out immediately. Like I said, they offer 12-ounce bags in whole bean and ground. You can choose between light, medium, dark, and French roasts. www.tracepontas.com, T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S.com slash coffee. You go to the website, you pick a subscription, and get freshly roasted beans sent to you every one, two, or four weeks. It's your choice. When you sign up, you save 20% off of every bag when you enter Bearcats at checkout. You get free shipping. You get 20% off. You get a subscription of coffee that they send to you every one, two, or four weeks. If you are not a member, if you are not getting your Trace Pound Test coffee shipped to you, what are you waiting for? Make it happen. All right, Dave, what's your score prediction for Saturday? Uh, unfortunately, I think I'm going to have to go with the Buckeyes. I feel like this could be one of those games where it's really close and then, you know, they get a, get a touchdown somewhat late to maybe make it look a little, little uh, bigger than it really was. I'm going to say 38-24 Ohio State. I'm in the same boat. Uh, I think it's it's pretty close for a long time. UC is is trying to to make a play late, and Ohio State ends up capitalizing. Uh, I'm going to go 34-21 Buckeyes. That means we both have them covering. Sure. Comfortable <laughs> with that? No, I'm not really. <laughs> but. <laughs> I mean, no, I, 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 I just struggled because, like, like when I think about a score, I'm like trying, like, are they, can they really score like 45 against this defense? Like, you know, right. UCF and their offense at home last year scored 38. Um, you know, that would be the, the the closest comparison, and I'm like, you know. Forty-five twenty-seven. That sounds sounds good, but are they really going to get to forty-five? Because UC is going to, you know, going to run the ball. Ohio State wants well, to run and, the ball. So that many possessions. And, and so, the other thing is, if Cincinnati's not scoring, the ball is still going to be on the foot of James Smith. Right. Yeah. Unless they're just turning it over like crazy. Right. They're going to they're going to be going. You know, at you would think at bare minimum like. You know, 60, 65 yards. So. I'm with you. I, I wish I felt differently about it. I wish I was confident enough at this point in, in what Luke Fickle is building to to have a win. <laughs> I think they will. I think going into the fourth quarter, though, there will be. We will be watching a game that Cincinnati has a chance to win. Uh, ultimately, I think depth and, and talent and experience in these type of environments 
for most of that roster gets Ohio State over the hump. I hate that I feel that way. I don't like predicting losses, Dave. I don't either, but they're a pretty damn good team, and I think Ryan Day's a really good offensive coach. So, I mean, for people that follow more than just UC, I mean, that was evident last year when he was in charge versus when Urban was in charge. The offense was totally different. So, you know, I don't think there's any shame in it. I mean, they're a very, very good team, and they're at home, and, you know, they've but you never that's why they play. You never know. Two things to get to before we get out of here. One, um, I, I don't want to touch on this a lot, but I do want to touch on there was um there were some some upset media members yesterday that the the players weren't available today uh leading up to the Ohio State game. Personal opinion we get more access than pretty much anybody in the country. If you wanted to ask UC players about Ohio State, there were 21 practices at camp you could have done that. There was an open practice before UCLA that that you could have done that. To be upset about it today, what are those guys going to say? They're not going to give you any juicy bulletin board material to put on the board in Columbus. They're not going to say anything. Like I, I just don't get, in terms of when it comes to the access that we are given, the access that is out there, the access that, that some of the people that were complaining do not take advantage of. To me, it seems like it's, a, it's looking for a reason to criticize somebody that has made his program as open, if not more open, than any other football program in the country. Um, come on. I, I, I just think it was silly. I think it was petty, and, and I didn't like the looks of it. And that's that's my stance on that. Did you see it? Do you have an opinion on it? No, and not really. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, John Brandon picked up a couple commitments uh, following the UCLA game. He had a pair of official visitors in the Madsen Twins from Minnesota. Gabe and Mason gave a 6'6 wing, small forward type. Uh, his twin brother Mason, a 6'3 combo guard. The two of them committed before they left campus on Saturday. Uh, it gave me quite a bit of work to do on Saturday while I was on a little weekend vacation with my family. Not that I'm... Uh, Upset about that because the way this job works, there is no such thing as a vacation. You can be on vacation, but you're still going to have to work. And that's no different than it was this weekend. And I think John Brandon clearly saw something in, in Gabe Madsen that made him believe that this kid can be a critical part and piece of the future of Cincinnati basketball. And he also... Very much liked what he saw from Mason Madsen and believed that long-term he is a guy that can help the program win. Um, both of them, ability to stretch the defense. Mason, a guy that is a little bit more, plays with the ball in his hand. Facilitator, like I said, a combo guard, where Gabe is more of a, uh, a, a versatile guy that can score at all three levels. In terms of replenishing the wing, you're going to lose Jaron Cumberland. You're going to lose Javen Cumberland. Keith Williams will be going into his senior year. It was critical for him to get a high-level wing in this class, and I think that was accomplished with the commitment of Gabe Madsen. I just have one question about them. Okay. Is either of their nicknames Mad Dog? Not yet, but, I mean, we can do that. Well, yeah. I mean, we kind of have to, right? I think it would probably be more Mason than Gabe. Well, then that's what I'm going to start calling him. <laughs> Mason, Mad Dog, Manson. No, just Mad Madsen. Dog. Just I, Mad. I dog. don't. I don't. He doesn't. I mean, if your nickname's Mad Dog, do you really need to have a first or last name? No. I mean, you don't. Like, there you go. And. 
he becomes a much more promising prospect if his nickname is Mad Dog, right? Right. Like, did you hear that UC got that Mad Dog kid? <laughs> hey, did you see what Mad Dog did good. last night? Yeah, exactly. I feel you. I feel you. I, I, but I do think getting that wing position, now you've got Zach Harvey, now you've got um, Micah Adams-Woods, now you've got Jeremiah Davenport. You add in Gabe Madsen to that. Um, you've got Mason Madsen. You've got Mad Dog Madsen. And you've got Mike Saunders uh, as your, you know, those guys. And, and Mike Adams-Woods as those guys that slot into that lead guard, combo guard type role. Uh, I think in terms of setting the, the program up going forward after what he took over, I, I think it was two very good additions. Um I know you're not the uh, the basketball recruiting enthusiast. You just care about when they get here. That's right. Same thing with football. Let me know when they when they get here. <laughs> also, before we leave, Midnight Madness thoughts. It returns. My are thought you... is that they are certainly being boldly bearcat having it after the UCF game, uh, where it, if they win, it could be sold out. It could be a madhouse if they win. Because people like me will probably go from the game to a bar to Midnight Madness. Uh, or, if they don't win. or back to your car. That's get true. what you have left over from the tailgate. Yeah. Crank it back up. That's right. No sense in leaving. But, uh, no, I like it. I mean, I, it's never been – like, I've never been one to – really care one way or the other it's it's all practice to me i guess when we go watch so many practices it's it's kind of yeah yeah the same but but i like it you know new era new bring it back and see how it does and drum up some interest in the middle of football season like i think it's great and they have done between all the things they added to the game day experience for football they're bringing back midnight madness it does seem like there has been, with the addition of Brandon Sosna into the athletic department, it does seem like there has been a been a concerted effort to listen to what the fans are saying, listen to the type of things they want in terms of bang for their entertainment dollar, and a desire to cater to that. And far too often in today's sports landscape, you don't see enough of that, and it's probably why attendance is declining everywhere right well yeah i mean it's definitely like i i mean i can speak 100 percent honest about it like when i put stuff out on twitter like you know after they announced all the fan experience things what are you most looking forward to seeing like i know brandon is seeing those responses when i'm retweeting them or earlier this summer when I asked like you know just generally what are some things you'd like to see the university do to enhance the fan experience he sees he sees all of that they see that so it's not it's not just lip service and and know that you know things are being worked on and discussions that, you, that people don't even know about you know what's going on or already being talked about for next football season and next basketball season so you know because i think too many of these like quote-unquote bigger schools they just sit there and hide behind their Twitter accounts or their social media accounts and and they there's no interaction so it make it does make it feel like the the fans aren't being heard even though you know probably 50% of ideas aren't feasible or you know for whatever reason aren't logistically possible but just know that they are listening and any idea is going to at least be given a little bit of time to think of, oh, maybe that is a good idea. How do we, how do we maybe do something, maybe not exactly that way, but similar to that. So, you know, when when we're trying to engage you guys, it's not just because I'm interested in what we want, what the fan base wants to see different. It's because we know that we're the best way to get all of this information to the athletic department. Yeah, they're listening. And I I, I don't think 
enough is talked about into how far that goes with the fan base to know that the people that are taking your money, the people that, you know, are in charge of the, the program that you root for, that they're actually listening and that they're, they're actually hearing the things you say and taking those things into consideration when decisions are being made. I think that goes a long way to building incredibly strong ties, incredibly strong trust with your fan base. And I just think anymore, sure. too many people don't do it. And, and we're in an age where it's very easy to sit on the couch that you probably spent a lot of money on, right? And yeah. watch the 70-inch TV that you probably spent a lot of money on. And to see that as, look, I bought my ticket to this game. I paid for this couch. I paid for that TV. I paid for my streaming service, or I paid for Spectrum, or DirecTV, or whatever. <clears throat> you got to earn getting your fans <clears throat> money. You've got to earn them wanting to come to your game. And I think, especially over the last year, we've seen a concerted effort from UC to say, look, we're listening. And we're going to try to do as many of those things as we can. We're going to try to make well, it a better it, fan experience for games. We're going to try I mean, to do something to, like bring Midnight Madness back. Yeah, I mean, you have to look at it as, as a time investment. And how do we, because like I don't cover the games for Bearcat Journal. I go strictly as a fan. So I can speak as all the other fans. How do you get a fan to do what we do? Like, I was there tail I mean, there's people that were there way before me, but, like, I was there tailgating at roughly 4 o'clock, and I got back to my house around midnight. So, whereas I can just... Eight hours. Come home, come home from work, sit on my couch, watch the three-hour game, and go to bed, and that's... And I'm still a fan, so what are you doing to make me decide that it's more important for me to spend eight hours away from my family, in some cases, away from my house, than it is to just sit at home and watch the game? And I think that's, that's the hard part, that especially in the college game, that some schools are dealing with. And I think not every idea they're going to do is going to be successful, but you, you have to at least present people with different options and build on them year over year. You can't just, can't just sit still and be in Alabama or in a home state and just people just show up because that's what's always happened. And they win a lot of games and there's a lot of tradition and everything like UC is not in that type of a situation right now. So I, you know, I applaud them for doing what they're doing. And I think that was very evident Thursday night. Like, you had it for a weekday game. I thought the crowd was awesome. And I'm sure there's tons of people that went there and were like, I did this and this was new and this was new. And they told people that didn't go to the game because they're not ready to make that time investment. But maybe for the UCF game or the Tulsa game when they celebrate the 2019, maybe they will make that investment. Yep. I think it's important. I think it's important to point it out because I, I think it's important for, for fans to have that discussion for fans to understand that, that they're listening and that ideas are being considered and there are ideas that, that come to life out of those discussions. And yeah, I, I think that's, that's one of the things that, that we're here for to talk about that stuff. So that pretty much wraps it up, buddy. I yeah. think we're good. You got uh, anything, you got anything to add? No, I hope everybody has a fun time in Columbus. If you're Hopefully not in they, Columbus, make sure you're attached to the program. But if you, if the Bearcats do win, I suggest you drive straight to Columbus <laughs> and have a fun evening. A very fun evening. A very right. fun. Whether you drive to Columbus or not, if the Bearcats win, make sure you have a fun evening. Maybe maybe we'll have an impromptu uh post-game party somewhere if they manage to win the game. Stay tuned well, to the Twitter I be, feeds. I will be in Michigan. 
Uh, so I don't know if I'll be able to attend. But I'll, if if they do, and I'll be partying with two different fan bases that hate their guts, so it'll just be like I'm with a bunch of UC fans. There you go. They'll probably be partying just as much as you. <laughs> yeah. All right, man, that's going to wrap it up. Thanks to everybody for listening, as always. Thanks to Tass. I'll see you at the Brewporium. Thanks to Trace Pountas. Order your damn coffee. We'll see you next time. He's David Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.